1: Point Church, and welcome to those joining us online. I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I serve as lead pastors here. So glad you've joined us for our missions conference. Uh, we kick off missions every year around November, and we have missions weekends through the rest of the year as a focus in understanding that God is a God of the nations, and that the overarching theme of Scripture is one of mission. And praise God, we would not be here today if that were not true, God is on a rescue mission. He's been on one for a long time now, and we get to the opportunity to participate in that rescue mission. If you've been here at Connection Point and been able to go down the the hallway over here, hallway number two, we've got this wall of the unreached there. And if you go down that wall and you look at the different regions that we get behind and, and pray over, in the region of Eurasia is the country of India, and in the country of India are more unreached peoples than any other country in the world today. Of all of those panels on that wall, so maybe there's a dozen panels, a good five of those are India alone. So this morning, we're going to hear from Joseph, who is the area director for India, to be able to share his heart for the nations and to invite us to be a part of making a difference in India. Uh, Last year, we got to send a couple to Saudi Arabia. Praise the Lord. They're there today. If you're on Facebook with them, you, you got to hear how... Uh, The couple that's there, they got to uh, lead someone to the Lord. So God's kingdom is advancing in Saudi Arabia. Praise Jesus. And we can celebrate that. The year before, we got to send a couple to Iraq. And they're there today amidst protests, continuing to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So we just invite you this morning to be able to hear, and, and may our ears be attuned to, Lord, what are you saying to me today? More broadly than just what's he just saying to all of us, but Lord, what are you saying to me? How should I respond to the message that's being shared today? So can we welcome Joseph as he comes this morning?
0: Well, good morning. What a beautiful day to be alive, Amen. Just to serve Jesus, to know Jesus, it is uh, such a privilege to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Such a privilege to be his child, to have life, to have hope, and uh, just to see the passion your church has for the things of God. It is inspiring to walk down and to see a wall that you're remembering what Jesus is all about, and I just want to commend you and say, uh, well done, and let's keep going forward. Let's make a difference. Let's change the world together. Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I do wish my wife could be here today. I travel way too much and get to be with her way too little, but uh, she loves Jesus and she's in on what we do, that uh, we're separate today because of believing in this mission together, that uh, the most important thing in the world is that everybody hears about Jesus. That's what's really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I receive from the Lord... the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, I had uh, taken communion for years without really understanding the depth of what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples and to us when he does communion. Whenever we take communion, There are basically three elements that we always should remember when we take communion. First of all, remember that communion is about what? It's about remembering. It is about remembering the body, the blood of Christ. And when I take communion, I remember that Jesus died for me. How many of you are glad Jesus died for you? I am so glad that Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to give his life so I could have life. I am so glad that the Father valued me so much that he would send his only begotten son, that his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed, so that I could shed the life of death and enter into a life of hope and fulfillment because of Jesus Christ. And every time I break bread, I remember the life that I have in Jesus. But Jesus didn't just die for me. He also died for us. Everybody say us. He died so that people from different nations, from different backgrounds, different ethnicity, from people from different languages could all come together and be a part of his body, the family of God. He came to break down the dividing wall that separates people and bring us all together as one new tribe, as one new people, the family of God. And today, we are part of the family of God. How many of you are glad you're not alone in this? We're not walking alone. We are together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in the journey together. I am so glad that Jesus died for us. Amen? But Jesus didn't just die for me, and he didn't just die for us. There's a whole other part of communion that we often forget. And remember, we come to the table to remember. But we forget sometimes the most valuable element of communion. Years ago, I heard the story of this pastor, and he lived up in the hills, and so I went up to visit him. And so I get to his village, and he's up on the side of this mountain, up in the hills in this thatch-roof house, And I go to visit him, I sit down with him, and I ask him, I said, Pastor, tell me your story. And uh, he started telling me his story. He said, when I was 60 years old, uh, I was paralyzed from the neck down. I couldn't move a bone in my body. I had been paralyzed for six years. And one night while I was sleeping, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was taken back to a time that I was a little boy, and I was walking through the market town with my mother. She's holding my hand. I'm walking through the market, and I heard a noise, and I look over to the side, and I see a man. He's standing on a box. He's got a black book in his hand, and he's telling stories from this book about a God who heals people. And I stood there with my mother for some time, and then my mother tugged my hand, and when she did, I woke up from my dream. And I realized that really happened to me. It was a memory I had as a child. So that morning, he said, I called my daughter in and I asked her, I said, I need you to go to the town and I need you to find me one of those books. He said, he said I'm sure the man has died who was telling the story, but the book should be there. Go find me one of those books. So his daughter goes to the town, takes her two days to walk through the mountains to get to the town. She starts walking through the town and asking people, have you ever heard of a black book with stories about a God who heals people? Finally, after two days of walking through the town, we only had one small little church in that town, just a few believers, and she comes across one of these believers and she asks him, have you ever heard of a black book with stories about a God who heals people? He reaches down in his bag and pulls out a Bible and said, yes, I have the book. It's called the Bible. And the God you're talking about is Jesus. He's still alive. He still heals people today. And so he took her back to the church. They pray for her. They teach her for two days. They tell her about Jesus. And then they say, go back, tell your father. And then in a few weeks when we have time, we're going to come visit you. And so she goes taking off. They give her this little New Testament. And early one morning, she goes taking off. She runs all the way home. And she gets into the home in the evening. And he said, I'll never forget, my daughter comes busting into the door. And she said, Father, I found the book. And I know the God. His name is Jesus. And they say he still heals people today. And he said, I was laying on my side, so I just asked her, just, just place the book on my head, and let's start calling on that name. So she took that little New Testament, put it, on his, put it on the side of his head, and they started praying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he said, as we were saying the name of Jesus, he said, I felt my fingers crack. And then my toes started cracking. He said, and then I felt I could move my legs a little bit. And I asked my daughter to help me sit up. So he sat up in the bed. And then uh, he said, uh, immediately, he said, I started reading. I wanted to know what's in this book. And so he said, I read. It took me a day and a half. I sat there and read for the next day and a half till I finished the whole New Testament, Matthew to Revelation. And then I asked my daughter to help me up. I stood up, walked out of my house, knelt down, and gave my life to Jesus. He said, and that day... In a village of 120 people, everyone in the village that day called on the name of Jesus Christ. And there was a church that was started in that village that day, the first church ever in that region. He said uh, after a few days of teaching them what he could remember, he wanted to know more. So he said with his new legs, he walked into the town to, to find the pastor. He wanted to learn more. So he goes to the pastor and said, I want to learn more about Jesus. So when he was 60 years old, his pastor sent him to Bible school. He graduated when he was 63 and came back and started planting churches in that region. I was in him, with him within his late 90s. For over 30 years, he'd been preaching the gospel in that region. And I'm sitting with him. And it's in the nighttime, and his wife brings out, as it gets dark, she brings out this herbal tea and a, and a boiled tapioca root, and she sets it down in front of us. And, uh, and it's getting dark, and he picks up the tapioca root, and just at that moment, now the lights on villages are starting to light up. The villages are, are starting to come alive all across the valley. And uh, we couldn't see them before because of the trees, but now you can see the lights. And he, and he starts pointing, and he said, you see this village over here? As soon as I got back, I went to that village. We have a church there today. The whole village is in Christ today. This village, I started a church, and my son pastors there now. This village, we have a new church planting team there now. And he's planting all over dozens of churches he had planted in the last 30 years in this region. And he's sitting there, and he stopped him, and he's got this root in his hand. He stopped me. He starts looking at me, and you can tell he's trying to read me. He's trying to, he's trying to size me up. And he said, last week, Buddhist monks from a village far to the north. They came to visit me because they heard about my story. There's a sickness in their village. They said people are dying. People are being sick. They've tried everything. No medicine is working. And they heard my story. So they came to me and they begged me. They said, we heard you know the God who heals people. Would you please come to our village and tell us about this God who heals people? And he looks at me. He said, I'm old. I'm really not sure if I can make it. But if the Lord will give me strength before I die, I'm going to go there and I'm going to preach the gospel. And when he said that, he broke the root and he handed me half of it. And when he handed it to me, I felt like a wave of revelation. I don't know if you remember that when Jesus was walking on the Emmaus Road with two disciples and they didn't know who it was until Jesus broke the bread and they knew who Jesus was. And in that moment, for the first time, I recognized what communion was all about. You see, in that moment, that pastor wasn't asking me to remember that Jesus died for me. He wasn't asking me to remember that Jesus died for us. He was asking for a covenant. If I don't make it, it's up to you. One of us has to get there. I'm not sure I can. I'm going to try. But if I don't make it, the job's in your hand. Are you with me? That's what he was asking me. Are you with me? When Jesus broke bread with his disciples, he wasn't asking them, hey, Peter, remember I'm dying for you. Hey, John, remember I'm dying for you. He wasn't asking them, hey, guys, remember I'm dying so that you guys can be together. He was asking them to remember his purpose. When Jesus took the bread, he was saying, guys, my body is going to be broken, and it's not just broken for you. It's not just broken for those at the table. My body is broken for those who are not at the table today. My body is being broken for every man, every woman, every child, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people. Are you with me? Because if it stays here around the table, my death is in vain. Are you with me? And when Jesus broke bread, he had a big loaf of bread because there needed to be enough to pass on. There needed to be enough to share. You see, the way we do a communion, there's just enough for me. You know, I understand flu season is here. I'm not asking you to drink from the same cup and all get sick. I understand that. But I do ask you to change your mindset. That when you take this little cup, remember, it's not just about me. That Jesus has a big cup with a whole lot that's left over. And whenever we take, we are proclaiming. The essence of communion is the covenant of proclaiming that I dedicate my life to proclaiming that the body of Christ that was broken for me was also broken for you, but it was also broken for them. You see, Jesus didn't just die for me, and he didn't just die for us. He also died for them. He died for your neighbors. He died for your family members who are not in Christ. He died for every student on the campus of Purdue University. He died for everyone in Lafayette. He died for everyone in this nation and for everyone around the world. His body, his blood was shed for all, and he asked us for a covenant. Will you join me in taking this message to the ends of the earth? That is the covenant that Jesus asks of us to remember. And I can tell you these early apostles, they took it serious. Out of the ten men that broke bread with Jesus around that table that day, out of those eleven, ten of them died martyrs' deaths. Only one of them, James, actually died in Jerusalem, his home. The other nine died scattered around the world, living true to a covenant to take the bread, to take the blood to the ends of the earth. They died in Africa. They died in Europe. Some of them died on the Silk Road. Thomas went all the way to India and gave his life. I always feel so sorry for Thomas. You make one mistake and you get labeled for life, doubting Thomas. Poor guy. I mean, he's an apostle to the nations, and we still call him Doubting Thomas. Poor guy. We never let people over their worst day. <laughs> but this is the gospel. It is a covenant. And I could see those men sitting around tables. You know, the Bible says daily. Everybody say with me, daily. Daily they broke bread together. And you know why they daily broke bread together? It's because it's so easy to forget. You know how easy it is to forget? You know how easy it is to wake up in the morning, and you got to get the kids ready for school. And then, as soon as you get them from the school, you get a phone call—one of them's sick. And then you got to go back, and you got to go back and take somebody to the hospital. As soon as you get back from that, you take them back to school. It's time to pick them up from school, and then after school, you got to go to practice, and you go to practice a little bit. And then after that, we got a church service. We go to church service, and after that, we get back, and there's bills to pay, and and uh, there's something broke in the house, and uh, and uh, somebody's getting married, and somebody's dying. And how many of you know life just has a way of just insidiously. Eating away until we go days and weeks and months without remembering why Jesus died. And that's why every day they would come back to the table and they would say, Jesus, we're going to remember today why you died. And as they sat around that table breaking bread, I can hear them. Somebody saying one day, you know, I've heard this place called India. There are a billion people there who've never heard the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of villages that have never heard. And as they take the bread, Thomas takes it and breaks it and says, I will go to India. I will take the gospel to India. They never forgot. They remembered every day why Jesus died. It's so easy to forget. I should never be able to forget. When I was 15 years old, I was an alcoholic. And I was an alcoholic from the age of 15 to the age of 20 until Jesus Christ found me and he changed me. He gave me life. He gave me hope. He gave me joy from brokenness. He gave me stability I came from a broken home where my mom had left when I was a teenager. My dad left when I was a teenager, and I was alone. And in my brokenness, I turned to addiction. But Jesus found me, and he changed my life. I should be able to wake up every morning just saying, Wow, thank you, Jesus, for another day that I can serve you. But life happens. I've got kids. I've got a family. I've got, I've got stuff to do, and life has a way of eating away. After I got saved, I had a pastor, and I asked him, I said, you know, what what should I do for Jesus? And he said, "I, I don't know. You tell me. And I said, well, just tell me what I need to do for Jesus. And he said, go read your Bible, whatever the Bible says to it, do it. So I went home, and I opened up my Bible that day, and the very scripture I opened up that day was Luke chapter 18, where a rich man comes to Jesus, and he said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And he said, you know, obey the commandments. He said, I've already done that. And it said Jesus looked at him in love. He looked at him with compassion. He wasn't trying to rob him of something. He was trying to give him life. And he said, one thing you lack, go home, give everything you have to the poor, and come follow me. And it said the rich man went away sad. You know, there are a lot of people walking away sad because we don't want to sacrifice everything for Jesus. There's a lot of sad people in the church because we're holding on. There's a lot of sad people. And you know what Jesus is trying to do? He's trying to give you life. He's trying to get you to let go of what you have so that He can give you what He wants to give you. He's trying to get you to let go of your dreams and your ambitions so that He can give you His dreams and His ambitions that are so much more fulfilling. Let me tell you, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come to give you life and life to the fullness. And if you would just let go, you could walk into that life. But we forget. The car's got to be paid for. The house has got to be fixed. And there's so much stuff in our life. And we forget. I should never be able to forget. I was up in the mountains one time and uh, was going up to this village. I had this map. And on the map, it showed that that uh, about that far from my house in the mountains was the highest inhabited village in the world. And it was only that far from my house on the mountain. And I saw that and it was just like it was just like I'd won the Super Bowl or something. It's like that's the most amazing thing ever. The highest in heaven. I get to preach the gospel at a higher altitude than everybody's ever preached it before. And I don't know, some of you are looking like I'm crazy, but that's all right. I think you're crazy for caring what your golf score is. So we're, so maybe we're all crazy. <laughs> And so I saw that, and I just like, and I and I had these young guys staying with me this time, and I bring them. And I said, "Guys, look at this highest inhabited village in the world, that far from our house. Tomorrow we're gonna go there and preach." And they're like, "Oh, yeah, sounds good." I told my wife, I said, look, honey, highest inhabited village in the world. That far from the house, tomorrow I'm going there. And and my wife knows me well. She just said, oh, that's great, honey. Dinner's ready. You know, I said, no, I'm doing it. You guys are trying to distract me. I'm going to get there. So the next morning we get ready to go. And uh, just as a side note, uh, as we're getting in the truck, uh, people kind of in our community know who we are. They know what we do. So this guy brings this guy over to the house. And he said, hey, this guy's an alcoholic. And I know you serve Jesus. And you've said Jesus can help. Can Jesus help him? I said, absolutely absolutely jesus can help him get in the truck we're going on a mission so take him on the mission i believe get him in the mission early so now i've got three guys with me and an alcoholic with me and we're going up to this village to preach (laughs) get him while it's hot and so so we start driving and uh so we start driving it's that far on the map seven days later we end up at the end of the road so what was a road on the map was a dry riverbed So as a side story, we love Speed the Light. You guys give to Speed the Light. I have on record in Speed the Light, I have destroyed more Speed the Light vehicles than any missionary in the history of the Assemblies of God. So I'm in this vehicle, and I'm going up the road. True story, we hit a bump so hard, it flung back, and the frame of the seat broke, and I fell into the back seat while driving the car. That's how bad the road was. So we get to the end of the road, and it dead ends into a vertical cliff. I mean, so it's at night, and we can't really see, which is good. It's, sometimes it's better when you can't see. So we get out, we get our sleeping bags, and we go to sleep in the morning. We wake up, and I'm standing there looking at this cliff. And my alcoholic friend, this is the longest he's ever been in 20 years without drinking. And he's kind of, you know, he's jonesing a little bit. And he's, you know, he's getting stressed. There's no way we can do this. And he's just talking to himself. I don't know why he brought me here. And, you know, he's all freaking out. So we're all standing there. And finally, this, uh, this young guy comes walking down the road. And I asked him, I said, hey, is there really a village on top of this hill? He said, yeah, there's a village there. I said, how long will it take to get there? And he said, it'll take about an hour. I took a seat. Guys, come on. We can do an hour, Right. You can walk for an hour. Now, what I didn't know at that time, this was early in my career, what I didn't know nobody in the hills of India has ever seen a watch. Nobody. Every time reference is about an hour. I could have asked how far New York City is. Oh, that would take about an hour. I mean, everything in the world is about an hour because you don't have watches. So everything in the world, oh, it's about an hour. So, but we took hope from this that it's only going to be an hour. So we put our backpacks on, and I'm not sure what language they speak or anything. So we have Bibles in dozens of languages. And so we've got, you know, we got a bunch of them because we don't know how many people are there. So we've all got about a hundred Bibles each in our packs because we're not sure how many people are there, how many, what language they speak. So we got all these different versions and translations, and so we put them on, and we got our tents and sleeping bags. We put this on and we start praying. Okay, God, give us strength for about an hour so we can get to the top of the hill. And we start walking. Eight hours later, we're still slogging up this hill. And I mean, by now, man, my back is shot. My shoulders are hurting. My legs, I mean, I'm just gassed. I'm just shot. And then finally, we get to the, where you could see the, the ridge. And man, when I saw that ridge, something just came over me like, man, this is it. I just had a sense of destiny. God, this is why you saved me. I'm about to walk in this village and I could see it in my mind. There's about to be revival today. I don't know why. I just had that sense. Something, you know, there better not be a dead person there because he's coming up today. I mean, this is, this is like, man, I just had to, man, something great's about to happen. And all the pain left my body and I just go shooting up over the top of the hill. And only when I get there, I come over the top of the region, I look down and there's four houses. Four. This village on the map was four houses. And I've got 100 Bibles in my backpack. And I saw those four houses, and I just hit the ground. My back started hurting again. My legs, I said, you know, Lord, you could have told me at the bottom of the hill there's only four houses up here. I sure wouldn't have brought 100 Bibles up this hill for four houses. And then the other guys get there. And my alcoholic friend by this time, he's gone. he is mad. And he's just muttering to him, saying, this is like children of Israel, we're getting ready to kill Moses stuff. I mean, it's like, man, I, you know, I pay. he's so crazy, this guy brought me up here and made me carry all this stuff, and he's just crazy. And sometimes, as a leader, you've got to say things you don't even believe yourself. Sometimes your pastor has to do this. I see the crowd turning, and so sometimes you just got to start speaking in faith. So I see I'm losing them, and they're about to beat me or something. So I jump up, and I said, don't worry about it, guys. God is in control, and God is going to help us, and we're going to reach all four of these villages. Come on, let's go and reach these four houses. And, I, and then finally they said, okay, let's do it. And I was like, whew, they're not going to beat me now. So all right, we're together. And so we start walking down there, and all of a sudden, this Buddhist monk comes walking out of the village. And I said, see there, there's the first one. And I could tell by his face he was of Tibetan origin. So I had this Tibetan Bible. I said, so give me that Bible. Give me one of the Tibetan Bible so I go up to him with his Tibetan Bible and I'm trying to talk to him we don't even share a common language and so it's really hard and there was a language he knew a little bit I knew a little bit and so we're kind of struggling through and finally I said in my broken urdu I say to him I said listen uh, I know it's hard for you to understand me but uh, this is the word of God and I want you to take it and read it and uh, I know you don't understand me but you should understand this word it'll change your life and he takes the book and man he just, he just embraced it and then he touched it to his forehead like this. And then he handed it back to me and said, nobody here knows how to read. And I said to him, I said, you may not know how to read, but you're going to take some books home today. Because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking them back down the hill. <laughs> so, so I told the guys, give them, give him one of everything we got. And so he went walking away with this massive stack of Bibles like this. And so as far as I know, we started the first ever library in the hills of India that day. They got books. They don't know how to read them, but they got a bunch of books. And so he goes walking back to the village, and now I'm like, oh, man. Now all I can think about is I got another day to walk back down this hill. I got another seven days to drive back home down that road. My back's already hurting just thinking about it. And and now nobody, I can't talk to them. They don't know our language. They don't know how to read. What a waste. Sometimes it just feels like we're just wasting, right? When we remember Jesus, it, it feels like a waste. It feels like we're just, why are we throwing our lives away like this? It feels like, what's the use? What's the point? But let me tell you, there's never waste with Jesus. There's never waste with Jesus and so we go walking down in the village. I said, let's at least pray for the village. And so we start walking in the village. And as we walk in the village, I-, I sat down right at the edge of the village. And this little boy comes and sits next to me. He's the dirtiest, filthiest child I've ever seen in my life. And just before I saw him, I smelled. There was a smell that came off him. Of he sat down, and it was just like this putrid smell. And I turned to him. And I said, what happened to you? He's, uh, it's snowing outside. His feet, he doesn't have shoes. They're just wrapped in cloths, and his hand is just wrapped in some cloth. And he looks like he's freezing. I said, what happened to you? He said, it's a long story. I said, well, tell me your story. He said, well, I'm not from this village. I'm from the plains, which is why he spoke the same language. We both, we were speaking Hindi to each other. He understood the language. I was surprised, and so, so, so what are you doing here? He said, well, my father was very poor, and so we used to travel the hills, going from village to village to find work, and my father would find work work in the fields, and then he'd go to the next village, he said, and then one morning I woke up, my mom was gone, she left the family. And then one day, my father woke me up early, and he took me to a man's house. And then he talked to the man for a minute, and then I saw the man hand my father some money, and my father turned to me and said, from now on, you belong to this man. And my father left me, and I've never seen my mother and father again. He said, for years, I worked for that man. He beat me, he abused me, he made me do all the work in the home and in the field, and I lived like that for years. He said, one morning, I went to the well to get water for the family. I brought the water back, and when I got to the front door, the man started beating me with a stick. He showed me the marks. His, his, the smell was from uh, dried blood in his hair. His hair was all matted in dried blood where he'd been beaten over the head and was, had been bleeding. He said, the man beat me, accused me of stealing something, threw me out of the house, and told me if he ever saw me again, he'd kill me. He said, I've been wandering through these valleys for weeks looking for someone to take me in. And no one will take me in. Somebody told me yesterday I was going to die. And I believe it. He said, but today I walked in this valley. And I saw you. And something spoke to me and told me you were the one who had come to save me. I had big dreams. I wanted to see a village saved. I wanted to see a great church planted. But Jesus brought me there because he cared about one little boy. One little boy. Jesus remembers every one of us. And when we remember with Jesus, people live. And that boy came to live with me that day. And today he's married, he has a wife, he loves Jesus, he serves the Lord today. Because when you remember, people live. And there are people out there all over the road, world walking the roads of life. They are in villages. They are in places waiting on someone to come and to bring the message of life. And when we remember the person, person of Jesus, when we remember his purposes, when we go about the work of God, people live. But when we forget, people die. And let me tell you, sometimes it is easy to forget. Forget. We had served in India for about 15 years, and then we knew the Lord was, was leading us to go to Laos. And so when we felt like the Lord speaking to us to go to Laos, we came home on itineration to get ready to go. And we'd always known our middle son had challenges. And when he's five years old, we came home, and, and we wanted to get him tested, to check out, to make sure everything was okay. And uh, at that time, he was diagnosed with autism. He was diagnosed with severe learning disabilities. Uh, our son is now 18 years old and functions on a six-year-old level. He is being diagnosed with uh, symptoms of muscular dystrophy. His muscles are breaking down. He has a lot of challenges in life, a lot of challenges. When the doctors diagnosed it, the doctors were, were very encouraging. They said, listen, your son's five years old, and uh, we've caught it early. We think your son's going to be Okay. We have schools that are set up for kids like your son. We have teachers who are trained. We can help your son. Don't worry, we can help your son. We said to the doctor, that's that's good, but uh, we're getting ready to move to Laos. And they said, "Uh, do they have special schools in Laos? I said, no, there's no school in our town. My wife has to homeschool. The doctor said, you can't do it. The doctor actually spoke to us, over us, and said, you'll be abusing your child if you take him there. Friends and family begged us, now's not the time. Don't take your son. We've been through this before. My youngest son was born with one kidney. And uh, we went to the hills. God did a miracle. Gave my son a second kidney. And uh, God showed himself faithful. But I can tell you this, yesterday's victories are not enough for today's trials every day is a new day every day you have to come back to the table and remember so my wife and i after three months of struggle because we agonized over the fact our decision may destroy our son's future and we agonized over it for three months what are we going to do And one day we were sitting around our table agonizing over it with tears in our eyes. And I looked up and there was a piece of bread on the table. And when I saw that bread, I remembered, Father, you loved me so much that you sent your son that his body would be broken, that I would have life. Who am I to withhold my son from you? Lord, help me to trust you. And my wife and I took the bread and we broke it. And we said, Jesus, you gave your body for us. We give our body, our family, our son. We will trust you. We took the cup and we renewed a covenant with the Lord. Jesus, you gave everything for us. And Lord, we give everything back to you. And we set out to Laos. And the doctors were right. After a year in Laos, our family was struggling Our son had regressed into a bad place. He was going dark inside of himself. He couldn't communicate with people. We were losing our son. And I remember one night we were sitting around our bed. We're on our knees and we're praying, God, we're ready to die for you, but we need to know you're in this. If we're going to lose our son, God, it needs to mean something. God, show us you're with us. Just show us. We're ready to do it, but you got to show us. We, I need something today. A week later, I get an email from a young girl, and she writes me and said, Please forgive me. I felt for over a year God keeps speaking to me that I'm supposed to come and serve with you. She said, But it doesn't make any sense to me because I'm not a missionary. I've not been to Bible school. I don't know how I can help. She said, Let me just tell you who I am. She said, I have a degree in special education. I've been teaching autistic children for the last three years. And if I can help, I'd love to come serve your family. My son has had 12 years of one-on-one attention that he never would have gotten anywhere else in the world. And my son is adjusted today. He loves Jesus today. He has life today. Because when you remember Jesus, people live. When we remember, people live. But it wasn't just my son. In Laos, in a closed country today, we know of church planning movements that have taken place among three unreached people groups, three groups that can probably be taken off your wall today because when you remember Jesus, people live. But the opposite is also true. When we forget about Jesus, people die. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, go into all the world Preach the gospel to all people. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me to seek out, to save the lost, I am now sending you. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Now you go. The last thing, literally, Jesus is on the hillside speaking to his disciples. The last thing he ever says to his disciples is this. You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in that moment, Jesus is taken from them. Now, all of this happened over 40 days. He's just telling them over and over because he knows how they are, and he just keeps telling him. And then Jesus is gone, and here are the disciples standing there, And now they're incapacitated. What are we supposed to do now? Where did he go? Are we supposed to go fishing again? What happens now? Where did Jesus go? If he wanted us to do something, he should have told us. I have a son who's exactly like that. My son, when he was 18, he's a senior in high school. My wife says to me one night, Hey, honey, we need milk for the morning. And as a good father, I believe in delegation. So my son is walking out the door. And I said, Josiah, mom says we need milk. Handed him a $20 bill. That's all I had. I know that's a bad, bad choice. That's all I had. So before you judge me, I just didn't have anything smaller. So I handed him the 20 And I said, Josiah, mom said we need milk for breakfast. Milk. And he said, well, I'm just going to my friend's house. I'll pick it up on the way home. Great. See you in a couple hours. So he goes out the door with the 20 I know my son. So Right before he gets in the car, I shout out the front door, Josiah, don't forget the milk. He Got it, Dad. Gets in the car. An hour later, I know my son. I send him a text message, all caps, milk. <laughs> he sends me back a bunch of frowny faces and, you know, all, I'm glad I don't read emoji. I'm sure it was bad. I mean, it was like, he was like, you know. So an hour later, he comes walking back in the house. He has a slushy and a hot dog. I said, Josiah, where's the milk? He said, What milk? You didn't tell me about no milk. How many of you have a son or a husband like that? And Jesus knew he knows us. And that's why for 40 days he kept saying the same thing he knows us. We forget. And finally, it says, literally, God had to send an angel down. And if you look at Acts 11, it said, this angel comes and comes to him and he said, why are you standing here looking up into heaven? Oh, yeah, that's right. Go to Jerusalem, power, said, got it. And they went out and started doing it. <laughs> 2,000 years later, just like you, there are millions of people around this world gathering together today to worship Jesus. And we're standing and looking up into heaven and saying, Jesus, if I only knew what you wanted me to do. If I just knew your will for my life. How many of you want to know God's will for your life? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all people. Go, make disciples at your workplace, at your school, among your family, among your friends. Go until everyone is heard, until every tribe, every tongue, every nation is represented around the throne of God. That's your call. Your call is not to geography. Your call is to Jesus Christ. You are called to Christ, to walk with Christ. And wherever he leads, you just go with Christ. Don't get bogged down in the details. Just follow Jesus. One day there may be opportunity for you to walk into Eurasia and preach the gospel. But I ask you this, why would God call you to Eurasia when you've never told your neighbor about Jesus? That doesn't even make sense. we got to be obedient right where we are to do the work right where we are, faithfully serve God now so that God can send us somewhere later. So don't worry about what God's going to do with you next year or the year after. You just faithfully follow God in obedience today and reach people right where you are. Make disciples right where you are. And Jesus will expand your fields and give you more to do if you show yourself faithful today. Remember. Remember. But there's a warning. If we eat the bread in an unworthy manner, we'll be guilty. You see, we've always been taught just to think about communion as a personal thing. So whenever we think unworthy, we just think, do I have sin in my life? But Jesus didn't just die for me. So it's more than just remembering that. I do need to do that. But it's not just about me. It's not just about us. And because it's about us, I need to look around and remember, is there anyone I have offended in the body? Do I need to make things right? And so we need to do that. But Jesus didn't just die for me, and he didn't just die for us. When I take communion, if I take the bread and take the cup without remembering people for whom Jesus died, I'm not eating and drinking in a manner that's worthy of Jesus if I see the seats that are empty and don't remember people in my community that needed to be here today, that needed this grace, if I enjoy the blessings of God without remembering those who haven't received it, I'm not eating and drinking in a way that's worthy of Jesus. Because when Jesus was dying, He wasn't thinking about Himself. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about us. And He was thinking about them. Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in death, his mind was not on himself. So let a person examine himself. Look deep within. And here's the question I want you to ask yourself today. Am I doing everything I can do with everything God has given me to make sure everyone has a chance to know Jesus Christ? You know the thing that I think hinders in the church more than anything else? Tithing Christians. I love your lighting guys are good. Every time I stay, I keep doing it just because I like to see the light go up and down. I don't actually need to. I just really enjoy that. Make sure they're still awake. Oh, see? (laughs) It worked. You know what? I, I believe Christians should tithe, but you shouldn't be a tithing Christian. You know what a tithing Christian is? Somebody who does just enough to get by. Tithing is the bare minimum, right? And if you want to be a bare minimum Christian, you're never going to change the world. Bare minimum people are the thing that keep us from going ahead. Let me tell you, 100% of what you have belongs to Jesus Christ. 100%. Everything you have belongs to Jesus. The day you accepted Jesus, you accepted new lordship over your life. You accepted a new ruler, a new king. And when I accepted him, everything I have from that day belongs to Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't ask for 9.384%? Some of you would spend all day Saturday just figuring out what you got to give because I don't want to get cheated. <laughs> because he asked for 10%, it's at least easy to figure out how much I owe, right? Right? <laughs> Can you imagine what would happen if the people of God would start coming before him and saying, wow, Lord, I just got a thousand dollars and I don't need much of this. I think I'm good with a hundred. Why don't I just drop nine hundred on you? Let me tell you, the world would be reached if we'd start to remember. To imagine that. Man, I don't just go on Sundays to worship. I don't just go at this little time of the day to pray that my whole life is about communion with Christ, about abiding with Christ, about walking with Christ. If we're going to change this world, it will only be when every one of us stop giving the leftover, stop giving the bare minimum and say, Jesus, every part of my life belongs to you. Every moment of every day. All my resources, all my talents, all my energy, everything I have belongs to you, Lord Jesus. And if we would live like that, I want to tell you the world would be forever changed. It would be forever changed. That's what Jesus has called us to do. To lay it all down. To take up our cross. To follow after Jesus. I'm so glad. 31 years ago, when I came to the Lord... Within a a few months of getting saved, I gave my house away, I sold all my guns, I sold all my rod and reels, I moved to Florida, gave my truck away, and within three months, I was down to two pair of pants, two shirts, a sleeping bag, a flashlight, a pair of cowboy boots, and I started on my real journey with the Lord. And for 31 years, I have walked with the God of miracles, and I can tell you, He's never let me down. I still don't have a savings account. I still don't have money in the bank. I still don't own anything. But I can tell you, Jesus Christ is faithful. Jesus Christ is faithful. And Jesus Christ is looking for a people today who love him so much, who honor him so much, who remember him so much, that they would say, whatever it costs me, I believe, Jesus, you love the people of Syria. I believe, Jesus, you love the people of Turkey. I believe, Jesus, you love the people of Russia. I believe you gave your body, and Lord, you're not here to go farther. So I'm going to take the bread, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to take this message till everyone knows that Jesus Christ died and rose again. We will proclaim. Would you stand with me today? Years ago, I went up into this valley to preach. And in this valley, it's called the Harki It literally is like, a, it's just such a beautiful place. And the name literally means God's Valley. And I was up in this valley and preaching, and, and quickly it turned bad. I'm preaching in this village, and I don't know why it started, but a riot started. They started beating us, they started throwing rocks at us, and uh, they started chasing us out of the village. There was a bridge at the bottom of the village that separated the village from the next one over, and they chased us out throwing rocks at us. We got to the other side of the bridge, and they stopped, so we stopped running at that point. And so we stopped on the other side, and they sent the kids out through the village to bring down all the Bibles and literature we had given, and they brought it down to the riverbank, and they started a fire, and they started burning these Bibles. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced it. Just, it just eats at your soul. Some of them were tearing these things and just throwing it into the river. And this one little boy got directly across from me on the river. And I can see him shouting. I I can't hear him because the river is so loud, but I can see him. He's pointing his finger at me. He's just a young boy, and he's shouting, and he's just so angry at me. And he takes a Bible, and he starts ripping it and throwing it into the water. My heart is just breaking. There was an elder standing behind him, and he's very pleased that this young man is doing this. Finally, the elder walks away, and now me and this young boy, we're having a stare down. He's He's just looking at me angrily, and I'm just staring back at him, just praying, God, I pray your grace, pray your grace, don't hold it against him. And all of a sudden, I see the little boy, he looks off over his shoulder, and then he sees nobody's around, and then he opens up his jacket, and he's got another Bible in his pocket, and he winked at me, closed his jacket, and ran back to the village. But we had never had any tracks. We'd never seen anybody. Twenty years later, now we have churches in other parts, and we have a small Bible school. But in that valley, we'd never had a believer. And then one day, we started a new Bible school year. This was just a few years back. And a young man walks in, and I asked him, I said, oh, good to meet you. We introduce each other. And then I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from the Dun. I'm like, that's amazing. Twenty years ago, I was there, and I preached. and, And we've tried so many times, and we've never been able to get a foothold in that valley how did you come to the Lord? He said, well, somebody uh, helped my wife find a scripture. And, uh, and who knows, maybe it was that scripture. I don't know for sure if it was, but she found the scripture. And she, she read the scripture, gave her heart to the Lord. My wife told me I gave my heart to the Lord. And so I'm here to get ready. I'm going to go back and plant churches in that valley. So we worked with him for a year and uh, trained him and sent him back to the valley. A year after I went to visit him. And I go into the village, and, and we go up to the top of the highest hill overlooking the valley. We get up to the top. We're going up there to pray. And so we're sitting up there, and I ask him, there's like 20 villages in this valley. And I ask him, so, so now after a year, tell me, how many of these villages now have a church, have a gathering of believers? And he looks around the valley, and he points to a village. He said, you see that village? He said, yeah, and then this one other village over here. I said, yeah. He said, those are the only two valleys now, the only two villages that don't have a church in the valley today. Let me tell you, God is able. When we remember, people live. And I'm asking you today to remember Jesus. Because the people we've forgotten are dying today. And if we will remember, they will live. Would you dedicate yourself to that today? We don't physically have bread in our hands. But I want you to imagine Jesus is passing you the loaf right now. He said, I did my part. Are you with me? Will you do your part? I gave my body. Are you with me? Will you give your body? There's a cup being extended to you from the hand of Jesus today. I gave my blood. I gave my life to pay the price for the sins of all the world. Will you take it? Will you give your life to take this message to the ends of the earth? Are you with me? Would you just lift your hands and surrender to the Lord? Jesus, we surrender our lives to you today. Lord, we give you everything. Every dream, every ambition, every desire. Lord, we accept today that your plans are better than our plans. Your ways are higher than our ways. And Lord, we just submit our lives to your purpose and your plan. And we say today, here we are. Send us. Send us, Lord. Send us, Lord. Across the street, on the campus, and around the world, here we are. Lord, it is our desire to be a part of your redemption story for peoples who have never heard People who have never had a chance, people who have never rejected you, they've just never had the chance to know you. So Lord, we say today, we will go. As you gave your body, we give our bodies back to you. As you gave your life, we give our lives back to you. We make a covenant today, we will hold nothing back. All that we are, all that we have, everything Jesus belongs to you we say today we will not just do the bare minimum but Lord everything 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 for you today Lord Jesus not just a part but all that I am Lord Jesus I am yours until the whole world knows until the ends of the earth are able to rejoice in you Lord I give you my life take me And use me for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.